Welcome to the latest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I'm Josh Molina, filling in for our regular host, Phil Lanides, who's on vacation this week. And it's my pleasure, it's really my honor to have an opportunity today to talk to my friend, longtime friend and a professional associate, but really just one of the premier MMA reporters, Eric Fontanez. Eric, how are you today? I'm doing well, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Just a little bit of background, um, you know, Eric used to work at, and I'll, I'm going to let you talk about yourself in a second here, Eric, but Eric used to work at a variety of publications, MMA Weekly among them. And uh, when I was somebody who was starting out in MMA journalism, Eric gave me an opportunity, gave me a job, threw some work at me, um, you know, one of, one of those uh, good guys of MMA journalism. And, uh, you know, I was never, never nearly, you know, half as talented as Eric, because Eric is such a good reporter, great sources, great writer. And um, I was happy to sort of be in his space for a little while while we were, uh, you know, covering uh, MMA and, you know, UFC and strike force, you know, back when the sport was, was, was booming. And so I learned a lot from Eric. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Eric, can you talk a little bit, uh, remind people of, uh, you know, the, uh, what you did and your role in MMA, and then we're going to dive in and talk strike force. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, first of all, man, um, I appreciate you saying all that stuff. Like, I, it means a lot to me that you, you know, look at me in that kind of light. I, you know, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, like, especially when it comes to this stuff. Like, I just wanted to do good work and do it well. Uh, so when I hear somebody like you say something like that, I really just want to say thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. Well, you deserve um, it. As you know, there's so many, so many MMA journalists, but you were legit. You know, you did it well. You were well-respected by the fighters, by the fans. I'm done. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I started way back in the 2000s, um, probably about 2008, 2009. Um, I just I I had honestly been laid off from a job in the insurance industry of all freaking places um <clears throat> but I was a big MMA fan and I kind of considered myself a decent writer I'd always been a good English student and you know always wrote pretty good essays um so I thought I should take a stab at um reporting like I wanted to write columns about MMA I wanted to write features about MMA so I tried to pimp myself out to all different types of places, you know, and Bleacher Report gave me a shot. Um, at the time, Bleacher Report was heavily dependent on like Google and their keywords and being a search result for people looking for MMA stuff. And, um, you know, the other side of it was they would allow, they, they would crowdsource written material. So I put in my name, they said, we'll allow you to publish on our platform, but you'll do it for free. <laughs> so, you know, being that I was just getting into the business, like I just, I said, okay. And I, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I think I wrote at least one article a day about something. Like if there was something on my mind, I would put it on, put it on my, my laptop. And I had a Twitter account where I would, you know, speak most of my mind. Like I would just <laughs> give my two cents on the sport at the time. And it was it ended up working. Uh, Bleacher Report, of course, was a would was an emerging platform 
they were doing all types of traffic and like i would naturally uh started to get more and more recognition just by publishing there eventually they gave me an opportunity uh with a contract um so i was finally being compensated for what i was doing and through that i met all types of people within the industry i started attending fights as press um you know met fighters you know met managers and trainers and other journalists um you know a lot of people that i networked with um and that kind of uh led the way to me um joining up with mma weekly and ken pishna and scott peterson and jeff kane were all the guys that i worked with on a regular basis to try to produce uh, hard news when it came to mma um, so we would try to dig at sources and try to get information so that we could report on all the happenings of the sport. Uh, and I think we did a pretty good job for a few years. You know, I think um, the PR branches of the organizations uh, realized that there was more value for them to report their news directly, especially considering the emergence of social media at the time. So communicating with sources became more and more difficult and trying to get breaking news through conversation became more and more difficult. It seemed like at a point where these fighters and managers and trainers and everybody just did not want to say anything as a means of avoiding retribution from the organizations. And I'll say this, it was far more the UFC saying that than Strikeforce. Right. Um, The UFC just really wanted to keep a cap on everything. And my, my view was always any news is good news. Like, <laughs> I don't care what it was, uh, especially if it was like a, a fight, like a fight announcement. Like if I broke the news about a main event mm-hmm. for a pay-per-view, that would be, that would piss off everybody in the UFC. Right. And um, you know, it, but it, but it would be right. And they would, you know, go on with the fight and everybody would get paid and, and all that, but they, they wanted to break their own news. I mean, I'm, I don't know if there's some sort of thing with like investors or, or advertisers that they were working with that this kind of messed with for them. Um, If it did, you know, sorry, not sorry. My job was to report the news and I reported it when I got it. Right. So, you know, and I did that for a number of years uh, all the way up through, I want to say, 2019 was the last time I really, um, or 2018 around then was the last time I really gave a push into, uh, reporting on mixed martial arts. And, you know, I left the sport, um, at that time, happy with my decision. And I continue to be happy with the decision just because I just, I cannot, (laughs) I cannot continue to try to grind at sources, uh, to get, you know, news that's going to break and not be read by a number of people. It just seems like, I don't know how it is nowadays. I don't know if the UFC is still, you know, putting a clamp on the the news reporting, but, you know, given the uh, collapse of the MMA section of the Atlantic, um, I'm sorry, not the Atlantic, the athletic, um, you know, I just imagine that true genuine journalism is still struggling specifically in mixed martial arts just because there are so many people behind the scenes that control so much of it that 
it they have an effect on the journalism industry so that's yeah. what that's kind of why i stepped away one of the reasons i stepped away and i'm i'm happy with it and i'm at, i'm i'm at peace with it but yeah now it's just not even not even something i think about much unless i'm talking on it you know, like a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i don't think too much has changed i think that you still you still see the same journalists the same publications getting a certain kind of access to the fighters oh, yeah. that that other sort of more traditional news outlets won't get. And one of the things that, you know, Phil and I really liked about Strikeforce was the authenticity that it, it brought back, you know, in 2006, when it sort of um, emerged into, you know, this sort of the Scott Coker sort of, um, you know, uh, San Jose, Frank Shamrock, CBS, Showtime, like this era where it, you know, transitioned from, you know, its origins as a kickboxing organization into something else. And it just felt more, more, more traditional, more real, more of a focus on the fighters. Uh, there, there was less uh, control that was being exerted over the MMA uh, journalism industry. Can you talk, Eric, about what you recall about about Strikeforce and some of your memories, some of the highlights? And, you know, if you want to start at the beginning or, you know, just what do you think about when you think about Strikeforce and sort of its emergence as a, let's be real, it was you know, never a really one-on-one -on -one strong direct competitor to the UFC, but it definitely made some noise and it definitely, definitely, uh, UFC was aware of them and they were very conscious of their product. So what do you think about when you think about, about Strikeforce and your memories of the company? Well, to touch, to touch specifically on a competition to the UFC, I absolutely believe that Strikeforce was a direct threat to the UFC. Okay. Um, and the reason why is because of all that noise that we're making. Mm -hmm. Like they had fighters leaving the UFC to go to Strikeforce. Um, they had, you know, the strike force had the financial backing reportedly to pay fighters. Um, and guys never really complained about that. You know, they, they were going, getting it, getting things done. And I think the UFC recognized it, which is why they made their bid to purchase strike force. You know, yeah. of course, I think there was like a, there's a part of that where strike force might've been bleeding money, but you know, I, I think the UFC recognized that Strikeforce was a competitor that took away attention from the UFC. And if we've learned anything about Dana White and, you know, Fertitas, it's like they don't like to share the sandbox. Yeah, and right. they were very much about me, me, me and the, the attention driven on them. And if any of that was being taken away, they were going to be pissed and they were going to try to do something about that. So that was Strikeforce. Strikeforce came through. They had guys like Dan Henderson going over there, yeah. Um, you know, um, and you know he would be walking around with pride belts and and all that stuff. Like they co-branded regularly, which I loved. Like so many years in the UFC, they refused to to co-brand with other promotions, which ultimately led to us never seeing Fedor Emelianenko in the UFC. Yeah, yeah. You know, and but we got Fedor. You know post prime Fedor at that, but still Fedor in the strike force cage, mm -hmm. which, which I loved, like his fights in Japan were absolutely legendary. And when I started seeing him in the U S finally, like I, it was just unbelievable and great to me and Coker, you know, Scott Coker was uh, a, 
a good dude to me. Like, I don't know what kind of relationship he had with other reporters or other people within the industry, but every time I communicated with Scott Coker, I got good information and had good talks and, you know, stuff was on the record, off the record. And he was op always open to communication, whereas that was not the same with the UFC. So covering Strike Force um, was was actually easier for yeah. me. Yeah, it was it was a lot easier. Trust me, it didn't get as many views as say, you know, Brock Lesnar doing his his UFC heavyweight championship run in the UFC. Mm -hmm. But it still gave me an opportunity to report on things happening that made a difference in the sport. And Strike Force provided me that opportunity. Scott Coker provided me that opportunity. Uh, so I, you know, I appreciated them for being the organization that they were from a reporting aspect and from an entertainment aspect, man. I, I sat cage side for, for um, KJ Noons and um, Gilbert Melendez. Nick, Nick Diaz? No, Nick Diaz. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I sat, I sat cage side for all those guys. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was, it was fun to watch. Like the fights were entertaining. Nick Diaz was still doing great things. Like it, it was an absolute joy to watch that kind of stuff. And then the, the post-fight stuff was easily accessible. Like they always, the, the PR department, kudos to them. They always worked with reporters to try to ensure uh, they get their message out and we get the message delivered. Um, it was great stuff. It was a good organization. When, when the UFC bought Strike Force, I knew it was the beginning of the end for them right like they were going to dissolve it they didn't want any other brand getting any kind of recognition within the mma space like they i i remember like the classic line the classic quote from dana white it's going to be business as usual <laughs> and it was far from that as we've all learned um it was not business as usual strike force existed for a little while after that but then they dissolved everything um and you know it became the sole focus on the UFC again. And it was like, God. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, everything you said about Scott Coker is true. You know, he's been a guest on this podcast uh, and uh, he, you know, he, he was always accessible to, to journalists. There's no pretension there. You didn't have to act a certain way to, to talk to him. Um, and then, you know, you, you know, you were at, you were at cage side for, for, for some of these fights and, you know, when we talk about strike forces impact, I think of a guy like Daniel Cormier. Okay. So maybe we could talk about him a little bit. Daniel Cormier is a guy who got his start in strike force and then became like one of the best MMA fighters of all time. When he eventually, you know, won the strike force light heavyweight championship, heavyweight championship, what do you recall like like daniel cormier you're watching this guy you know do you think this guy's gonna be one of the best uh, you know what, what do you remember about him and these other fighters who got their start tyron woodley for example in strike force ronda rousey you know in strike force misha tate these people mm -hmm. who would become world champions in the ufc what do you gagar musasi keith jardine like all those guys yeah like i yeah. I, you know, the impact that these fighters had on mixed martial arts was recognized by the UFC. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like they knew that 
Strike Force was doing great cards, entertaining cards. They didn't have to throw in, you know, a death metal band in the middle of their of their shows like uh, you know Affliction did. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, and like it it's it was great stuff, you know. And Cormier, Cormier, like to his credit, you know, carried. I honestly feel like he carried that heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. We could talk all day about Alistair Overeem and how like massive and fit, what a physical specimen he was. But of course, you know, he was, he was taking horse steroids in order to look like he did. Yeah. Um, but Cormier really like did great things. Like he was a wrestler who, you know, came into mixed martial arts and, and focused on his striking to be, to get better at that. And he had, he had a punch behind him man like he 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 really threw power and like grinded dudes like he wasn't like other other fighters we were talking about tyron woodley um you know off the pod and and like as great as i feel tyron woodley is like i don't think his striking was ever at the point where it was just like man tyron woodley's gonna knock you out every single time but you always had that concern with daniel cormier Mm -hmm. daniel was you know a great great fighter you know i think you know when he finally went to the ufc and was doing things there like he was entertaining there too but like he was one of the reasons strike force was a threat to the ufc and look at him now you know he's doing you know play by play and 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 you know being the center of memes for <laughs> for the ufc like he is he is a legitimate like candidate for uh the mount rushmore of mixed martial arts now you know, and it all started in strike force. Like it's, it was great stuff. Um, you know, Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz, you know, was f- fighting Paul Daly and knocking him out. And it, Paul Daly was known as the striker. Right. Yeah. So, and that was like just one round of fights. That was one round. Yeah. And at the very end of the round, he, he puts he puts his hands on him and Daly's arms just go flailing and he falls down and they call the fight and like that was exciting man like that was that was good stuff that was that was the fight that I was trying to think of is Diaz and Daly that was a good round yeah oh god it was it was fun man it was so fun I I think back of Strike Force and like I got nothing but smiles out of it like it was from a fan perspective, it was entertaining. From a professional's perspective, it, they were easy to work with. So, like, in my eyes, like, they were the best organization MMA has seen uh, in this century. Mm-hmm. Like, I all kudos to the UFC and their marketing machine for getting as much attention as they do. Fine, whatever. Strike Force was where it was at, man. Strike Force and Pride was where it was at, and. That no one will be able to change my mind about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, without a doubt, you know, uh, Luke Rockhold, uh, you know, you mentioned Gilbert Melendez. So many of these individuals would eventually become uh, UFC champions, even if they did it. They, they were great, you know, but long before they ever entered the UFC. You know, uh, recently Misha Tate fought in the UFC. She sort of made a comeback. Uh, she lost a decision. And, um, you know, as we record this, uh, Amanda Nunez, uh, you know, fought in the UFC and, you know, lost to Juliana, Juliana Pena. You know, Amanda Nunez had a fight in, in Strike Force, uh, you know, long before she was, you know, the Amanda Nunez we know. Um, 
can we talk about women's MMA and, and Rhonda? And I, I know you've probably, you know, we're like many of us and probably got, you know, snubbed by Rhonda in the MMA media. But can you talk no. a little bit? No, okay. Maybe you had access to her. Okay, so I did. Can, all right. Can you talk a little bit about uh, women's MMA? I mean, this is a time when Dana White is like, I will never promote women's MMA. Right. It'll never happen. Right. And then all of a sudden we see these pioneers like, you know, Marlos Conan and Misha Tate and Gina Carano and Cyborg and then Rhonda and and all of a sudden, you know, he starts to take notice. Can you talk about yeah. women's MMA and strike force and its impact in that part of the sport? Well, I think you hit it right on the head, man. Like Dana, he, he crapped on women's MMA saying that he would absolutely not do it like for whatever his reasons where he never really explained why is or genuinely explained why but realistically women's mma was on a on a great rise in the early 2010s and uh people like ronda rousey you know i know everybody everybody talks about how she you know didn't have any striking but you know what look again neither did woodley <laughs> you know <laughs> right. like but woodley was a champ yeah. uh, you know and and i think rousey on top of everything on top of her judo skill and her ability to grapple and, and so on um she was great on the mic you know mm -hmm. she knew how to sell a fight this is why she had success in the wwe like she transitioned over there and was immediately a hit like yeah. she knows she knows how to talk in the mic she knew how to sell fights she knew how to talk shit she had this aura about her that you know i'm i'm here to mess you up like her 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 rousey stare that she had was <laughs> like like she looks pissed <laughs> and and you know people were into that you know and and you know i i was one of the lucky few that had direct access to rousey i had her phone number and everything okay um and you know i'd communicate with her every so often like i remember the first time i met her i met her at a at a gym in the san fernando valley in, in southern california okay um, I, I met her there to talk about, um, you know, her transition and like an HBO special that she was doing and, um, you know, all the things. So I had maybe 20 minutes between workouts with her, but I stayed for the workouts and this woman was putting in work. It's not like she was just like some pretty blonde that came off the street and immediately sold things to the MMA community. No, she was legit. You know, she was a Judica in the Olympics. She, she, you know, was a physical specimen. Like she, she had the package or she had all the potential to do great things. I mean, ultimately it ended with her getting served hands and feet courtesy of Holly Holm. Yeah. Um, but like, she was good. She was great. And she brought attention. Um, like she was like the second wave of great attention that, women's MMA had and it happened in strike force the first wave uh Carano and Cyborg yeah Carano and Cyborg was like hype because Cyborg was exactly that a cyborg and she just would destroy people and yeah. then Carano was a was a great striker and you know like easy on the eyes so like that would get a lot of attention you know, and not to take, like, I don't want to emphasize on Carano's beauty or anything like that. She is very pretty and beautiful, but she was legit a fighter. Yeah. And 
I loved watching her do her thing. Like she had Muay Thai training that was beyond, um, you know, anything I could ever do. And it, she, she did it well. And she, she really rocked some people. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually sad not to see her uh, debut in the UFC. I know they had talked about it for a long time. Dana White and Carano's people were talking about it for a while, but they just never came to an agreement. Right. But, you know, she had her stint on the Mandalorian. So I think she's doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she, no, uh, when- she was tough. Like if you watch that, that fight with Cyborg, which, you know, I think it, you know, it ended right before the round ended. I mean, man, she took a beating. <laughs> she was tough. She, did. she was so tough though. There's, you know? there's a photo and I forget who the photographer was, but there's a photo of uh, Carano receiving a, a right hook from a cyborg and the picture is just like immediately as the fist hits her face and you could see Carano just like cringing in pain and then in in the blurry background you see cyborg's eyes and she looks like a great white shark like about to attack a piece of meat like that's what that reminded me of and that was you know and that's women's MMA you know like it wasn't the 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 you know it it wasn't being sold on sex which a lot of women's sports had to be had to deal with back then you know it was being sold on the fact that these girls were freaking great at fighting and it was incredible to see it was incredible to watch um rousey was um she was a great conversation she knew how to carry herself she knew the right things to say she um was very open to communication and it, so, as I said, with Strikeforce, she made it easier for me to do my job and that I'd always appreciate. I mean, after a few years, she like she started to get all types of attention in the wrong way. And, you know, like everybody was poo pooing on her and like she needed to disconnect from everyone, which I totally understand, because like now I'm in that space where I'm just like, I need to disconnect from the MMA community altogether because I cannot deal it just was too much and so i can't blame her for the trajectory of her career and the decisions she made so this woman came in showed off her her incredible talent as a grappler uh got to the top of the sport then transitioned into real fighting in the wwe and uh and was a a star there I sent some sarcasm, Eric. I'm not going to forgive. <laughs> I will not forgive you for that, but continue. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to give you the props. Like, hey, you want to do real fighting? WWE is where is that? That's but no, nah, like where the money is for that, sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know she got paid. Yeah, she got paid, and you know now you know she's she doesn't need the WWE. She doesn't need the UFC or MMA. She's good being a mom at home, married to Travis Brown and streaming video games all day. So, and good for her. She deserves it. Like she was something to this sport. And honestly, I feel like the sport poo-pooed on her enough to where like it was just uncalled for. And we see that so much in this, in this game. People are put into the system and then they're spat out the other end. Rousey was one of them. And, you know, the, the, the common... The common thing we see here is that at all, like most fighters towards the end of their time are always talking about their struggle with Dana White. And it's, you know, 
where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> you know, that's all I was saying. Dana White is a problem. Like, he, he wants to be the brand of the UFC, whereas the fighters should be the brand of the UFC. I don't care about Dana White. Yeah. Like, if, I'm, if I'm an MMA fan, I want to see, you know, I want to see fighters who are actually great do yeah. great things and not listen to how Dana White thinks they're great. I just want to see it. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned, you know, Ronda Rousey, and it's just, just a sad fact of our society with social media. The bigger you get, the more haters come out. And particularly when you're a woman and you're a, you're in a sport that historically has been, you know, dominated by uh, men and, and you're trying to fight for your respect at the table. And then the first time you lose, these people who've never really, you know, understood the position that she was in, they all of a sudden they say, oh, look, she was never that good. She was never that great, you know, and and they don't realize like everybody loses, <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody's going to go their whole career without, you know, losing a fight or getting knocked out if you're a competitor, because you, you keep going until you lose. It's just the way it is. You, you almost have yeah. to lose. You almost have to because you push yourself until you just can't go anymore. And, you know, she, she certainly had that impact. Yeah, and, you know, and then you know, it's great to hear you had a good sort of uh, professional relationship with her because, you know, she gets a lot of bad, uh, you know, attention for you know sort of turning on your on the on the the journalists or the media or whoever crosses hey, her. You know? Let's keep let's keep it real. Yeah, there are reporters in this game who will backstab you just as quickly as the organization will backstab you, yeah. and that needs to be said. I w- I will always. I will always pride myself being a, a reporter, a journalist, but I knew there were people in this game that, that, who were shady. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, like there are people in this game who are, were, still are shady. It does, and it, and it doesn't change. And I don't, I don't, I, I like, I don't look at Rousey's perception of the media as something that's unfounded. Mm-hmm. It's there, you know, she is likely done wrong by some of the more popular journalists and it's okay for her to be upset and vice versa. Like if there are reporters who were done wrong by fighters, like <laughs> me being one of them, like I've had, I've had, uh, you know, fighters who called me after I wrote a story about them and, and say WTF Eric. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you weren't supposed to print that. And I'm like, why wasn't I supposed to print that? I called you for an interview. Well, it was off the record. Uh, well what do you mean it was off the record there were, at no point did you say it was off the record like you know and then they get pissy with me and they they then i become public enemy number one so yeah. like there are people in this game who are just they have no accountability they just want to be they just want the acclaim yeah. which happens in all aspects of every sport in every business every industry um, but I'll say this MMA has some of the shadiest people I've ever come across in my lifetime. In my 40 years of life, uh-huh. MMA has been like, yo, uh-huh. <laughs> you, you guys, you, you guys got some therapy that you need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, let's talk about Rhonda and Misha Tate for a second. Uh, sure. in, re- in recapping these shows, Phil and I are, are approaching sort of the Ronda Rousey, you know, era and uh, Misha Tate and all of that. What do you recall about that feud uh, in terms of how it helped uh, women's MMA? You talked about sort of the first wave with Carano and Cyborg and, and the fact that everybody was sort of like, whoa, 
these that's a good these are good fighters you know and this happened and then we sort of see ronda rousey come along and just start tapping fighters out in seconds right she's just like incredible and then she's got this grudge match with with misha tate and what do you recall about about those those fights and and what what misha was able to show what ronda was able to show and sort of the 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 high level you know sort of submission that ronda was able to bring to the to the to the sport what do you call about their rivalry i felt like it was genuine the hatred um, a lot of the time people sell like fighters sell this like bad blood that they have for each other. And, you know, it's, it's all part of the marketing that um, is associated with the lead up to these fights. Mm-hmm. Like I honestly felt like Misha and Rhonda just did not like each other. <laughs> they right. just, they, they're, they're not nice to each other. Um, I know like, um misha tried to play the role of like no i'm not gonna listen to the you know to the bad blood like it's not like that but then she'd say something else and like totally add fuel to the fire and rousey just like you know wanted to punt look like she wanted to punch her in the face every time they looked at each other um like and the thing that i remember about the fight like the first fight was that this was like the true test of whether ronda rousey can be a legitimate fighter in this game like long term and um like there were a lot of questions about it like ronda had all these first round submissions and you know as exciting as they were people questioned whether they were all flukes like they were literally five in a row and people were like oh it's a fluke and it's like are you serious dude like come on <laughs> like it's like he, she's going against world-class fighters like every single time but like um tate was the one where people were like yeah this is going to be the one this is going to be the one where we find out and guess what she armed bar she armbarred her in the first round too. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not, and it's not like Tate's some sort of scrub. Misha Tate was one of the top fighters in the world at that time. Yeah. You know, and here comes Misha doing the thing, the thing that she does, and you know, puts her in an arm bar mm-hmm. every time. And yeah. um, I mean, I think that was like the second arm bar. Like there was there was one that she tried to do earlier in the first round and yeah. Tate got out of it and yeah. everybody was like, Oh my god, Misha Tate escaped the arm bar. This is it, this is it, she's gonna get Rhonda. And then Rhonda goes ahead and does it towards the end of round one and puts her out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it was I think this fight too was more so uh than you know, elevating women's MMA because it did great things for women's MMA, but it like that was the one that legitimized Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. Like there was definite bad blood, genuine bad blood. There was a question of whether she was legit and Tate was the answer. And then she went in against Tate and she beat her. Okay. So it was, it was every, like she played it perfectly. She went in against all odds, beat the one who was supposed to beat her and became the baddest woman on the planet. Bar none. Yeah. And, and then, and then later in the UFC, you know, what an incredible moment when they rematched and and Tate takes her into the third round, right? Yeah. And with, and holy cow. And then Misha, and, and then Rhonda taps her out again. Yeah. And remember, Misha tried to shake her hand and Rhonda looked at her and turned yep. the other way. Do you remember that? Like, holy yeah. cow. Like this this that was incredible. And that was like 
that 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 feud that moment was birthed yeah. in strike force you know yeah 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 and, and it was like <laughs> there was the bad blood like after a fight these guys usually come together and say i just want to give all my respect to my opponent it was <laughs> it's all love man and they hug each other and they kiss each other after the fight but rousey's like nah <laughs> hate her <laughs> i'm like all right cool like fine we're gonna we're gonna hate let's go like i can't wait for part three <laughs> um, but part three never happened of course but um you know and, and yeah like that the the rematch they were talking about how you know is ronda good past round one you right. know like and so she took her into round three and of course beat her again <laughs> you know <laughs> right. like it's she was she was great she was fun to watch fun to talk to um i totally credit her a lot for like the rise in women's MMA and its transition to the UFC. I think Dana White said something like, like, like Rousey and Tate was the reason why he was finally sold on, on the whole deal and female mixed martial arts. Um, so yeah, that's like great impact, huge impact. And like, I will always celebrate the times having watched her fight and um, remember it with, with, uh, with knowing that like, she was the reason why the sport has become so big for women across the world. Absolutely. And just one quick note, when she joined the WWE, like no joke, she was like the best women's like pro wrestler on the planet yeah. after match one. I mean, she is so athletic. She was like when Kurt Angle came over and became a pro wrestler. And it was like, how did this guy learn the specifics of this art and this genre and this theater and this athleticism I'll, so well? I'll so tell quickly. you why. Yeah, I'll tell you why. And it, it starts with Michael Jordan. MJ had this work ethic that was legendary. Mm-hmm. Like he would spend all the time in the gym. He would hold everybody accountable. And he was an absolute jerk about it. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to win and he wanted to be the best. This trickled down to other athletes. Kobe Bryant, for example, followed the same suit. Like people thought he was a jerk for years. And ultimately we discovered he was just, his work ethic was just on another level. Yeah. Ronda Rousey had that same work ethic. Yeah. Like she, w- when she was putting in work, she was trying her damnedest. Mind you, she didn't always do it the best when it came time to perform. For example, her striking wasn't great. Like her technique wasn't all that great, but she definitely did put in the work to try to improve it. Yeah, And she was relentless about it. She wanted to be the best. And I think a lot of that has to do with being an Olympic athlete like Kurt Angle. Like they sit there and they analyze themselves like nobody else does. Like everybody has critics. They are their own biggest critic or worst critic. And they analyze and, and scrutinize everything that they do. And I think the same thing happened when she was going to the WWE. She looked at how to be uh a successful professional wrestler and just went full doogie hauser mode with it and like <laughs> tried to do things like at a at a very young age uh, within the sport and and do great things and she did mm-hmm. you know and like it's that kind of mentality you have to have especially in professional sports where you're playing or fighting the best athletes in your sport so you have to have some sort of edge that's better than them so rousey has jordan theory she scrutinized everything down to the last morsel and tried to improve on it. Again, not necessarily the best at it, i.e. her striking, Yeah. but she put in the work to try to 
make all the potential that she could gain. Yeah, yeah. And she did get better at striking, too, uh, from where she was to where she she ended. Um, Oh, yeah. From beginning to end, it was like it was night and day. Uh, But ultimately, like there were better strikers than her. And like she like literally faced that head on and, you know, lost. But she did put in the work to to become a better fighter uh, from the beginning of her career to the very end. Exactly. Hey, I want to ask you two more questions before we wrap up. This has been like so such a good conversation. But the presentation of Strike Force, one of the things for me, whenever I think about Strike Force, I think of Mauro Ranallo. Um, I think of Frank <laughs> Shamrock. Um, they had different third individuals, you know, from time to time, Stephen Quadros and and uh, Gus Johnson and Pat Militech and just different different. But I just think of the the, the commentary at Strike Force to me is always being really, really a combination of just a super high level, but also just like really gritty, like really, really much understanding the sport without hyperbole, without over-exaggerating the moment. What do you recall about Strike Force? where, you know, at this time we're looking at, you know, Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg and they're kind of the, the, the brand, but over at Strike Force, I felt like Mauro Ranello, I felt like Frank Shamrock, they were legit. Like they, they were so good. And I thought they were a better team than the UFC team. What are your thoughts on that presentation of the sport with those guys? I, I do like, I, I enjoyed uh, Strike Force's presentation. I think the broadcast crew was great. Yeah. But one cannot, one cannot talk about Strike Force's broadcasts without Gus Johnson's. <laughs> Sometimes these things happen in MMA. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we need to touch on that. Yeah. So Gus Johnson, great college football guy, um, you know, incredibly professional play-by-play announcing guy. Like he he was great. And then they stuck him on mixed martial arts for the first time, and it happened at the absolute worst time with Strike Force in Nashville. Oh and my like, <laughs> and so Jake Shields, Jake Shields is getting interviewed. Uh Jason Mayhem Miller comes up. When are you going to give me mine, bro? And like Jake Shields and, and, and Melendez and everybody were, were like starting to, to throw. And like Mike or, or uh, Gus Johnson still had the mic. He's like, gentlemen, gentlemen, we're on national television. <laughs> Sometimes these things happen in MMA. Gentlemen, gentlemen. <laughs> so it was an all time blunder for Gus Johnson. Yeah. He's not going to be remembered for that. He's going to, he's going to be remembered for the great play-by-play that he's done for yeah. other sports. So kudos to him for that. How, but how would that, you have handled that, Eric? Like, how would you, if you're Gus in that moment, how do you handle that better? Okay, so uh, if there's a fight breaking out, yeah, it's not the reporter or, or sideline guy's responsibility to play referee. Okay, yeah. Okay, so you put the mic down, you get out of the cage, period. <laughs> right. Okay, you don't you don't try to save, uh, you know your 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 strikes from the FCC. You don't try to um, prevent a fight from happening. Gus Johnson is not a mixed martial artist. Like he's not going to get in between Jason Miller and Jake Shields <laughs> and yeah. and be successful. You just put the mic down and you get out, and you mm-hmm. let you know the powers that be come in and try to separate them, which they did. 
So there was absolutely no need for Gus Johnson to get on the mic and say what he said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he said it, so and we can't do anything about it. But that's that's always going to be an all-time funny thing for me in MMA. Oh, my like goodness. Gus Johnson. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen. Sometimes these things happen in MMA. Yeah, what a, what a dumb line. Yeah, and that was... <laughs> That was sort of the the big fall for Strikeforce because they lost their CBS contract after that. They did. They did. They did. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, I don't think, uh, you know, losing CBS was one thing, but just they they needed to keep doing what they were doing and they did. And the UFC took notice and looked at them as a threat regardless of their CBS contract. And I think one of the things that you wanted to touch on was, you know, the broadcast team with Mauro Ronaldo. Yeah. Moro, Moro was great. Yeah. Moro was absolutely great. I actually, I went on his podcast one time. He invited me on to talk about, um, you know, mixed martial arts. I don't even remember. I don't even remember the the topics other than me telling Moro like, hey, you know what? I appreciate you bringing me on because I loved hearing you in, in Pride. Yeah. Pride, like Moro Manalo's play-by-play in Pride really sold those fights and the fact that strike force brought him over to do the play-by-play made strike force broadcast that much better yeah the moros moros like his his completely over the top like uh, announcing was just great for the mayhem that was occurring on screen it was it was wonderful and he has you know he has this voice that makes you think what you're watching is important you know, yeah. he has this like very, he could, he could be monotone at times where he's like Fedor Emelianenko, you know, and sure. it, it, you, it just captures you. It's at the right tone. It's at the right pace to where it captures you and makes you want to listen. And then he brilliantly illustrated what was going on in front of you vocally. Like it was, it was wonderful to hear. And I think he was always a professional when it came to things um, you know, and always like anytime there's a fight and Moro Ronaldo is doing the play by play, that's something I could watch. Right. Like if they if they put Moro on UFC broadcasts, oh, uh-huh. that would be outstanding. Right. That would be wonderful. Like I've always enjoyed like I always enjoyed Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and uh what's his name? The guy that they got rid of. I forget his name. Gold- Goldberg. Yeah. yeah, Mike Michael. Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, like I appreciate all the things they did, you know, for years. Uh, but if they f- brought Mara Ronaldo into the to the UFC, that would potentially make me want to watch again. It's just because he was able to make the broadcasts entertaining. Like, could you imagine Mara Ronaldo and Daniel Cormier? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> so like there would there would be even more memes with those two. <laughs> Like yeah, I, totally. I can't, I, I, I wouldn't be able to get enough. I'd probably watch it just to, just to try to make memes out of Moro Ronaldo sound bites. Mm-hmm. Like that was it. But you know, he, he's, he's absolutely great when it comes to combat sports. Like such a, such a pro, great delivery, and he just he makes the fights that much more interesting to watch. Yeah, my favorite strike force moment was when Scott Smith came back after getting hammered by Kung Lee for two straight rounds, getting kicked to death, you know, uh, in the <laughs> ribs and the face and the head. And, and then Kung got tired and yeah. uh, Scott Smith hit him and, you know, it was over and then he finished him. And, 
and, and Moro Ranallo is just going nuts, and he's like, "Yes, miracle yes. in San Jose, miracle, like, yeah." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was such a you know, it, like just making Scott Smith like in that moment sound like Rocky, you know? Oh yeah, like, I know. mean, he had a stretch there. Scott Smith had a stretch there where they were thinking he was like the comeback MMA fighter of the decade. Yeah, like he was. <laughs> He was doing great things. He was beating all these guys. They're like, middleweight champ for sure. And I think he did try at the middleweight belt and strike force, and then he came up short. Like Scott he met, Smith he was met just Paul a Daly. tough guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he met Paul Daly. Uh, he he was like he was tough. Like he was probably one of the toughest guys in the sport at the time. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing that really, really set him apart. But like, yeah, as far as like polished well-skilled fighter not so much but it will hit you really hard <laughs> yeah so before we wrap up here can you just uh you know we've talked about it in so many places here so far but can you just talk about what strike forces long-lasting contributions to the current state of mma were what is strike forces legacy i don't want to crap on bellator um Scott Coker obviously is uh involved there but you know Bellator doesn't have to me in my perspective the the hardcore fan following that Strikeforce did uh Bellator is like a TV product people mm -hmm. will check it out Strikeforce had this sort of like like energy behind it and it was real and it was authentic and even today you come across people in the sport who remember Strikeforce fondly what is your take? What is Strikeforce's legacy? Strikeforce's legacy is the reason that they're they're the reason why you're watching people like Amanda Nunes fall to the Venezuelan vixen. Yeah, they're they are responsible for bringing women's mixed martial arts on to the grandest stage. I think Elite XC um, did some great things there, but it was really Strikeforce that lifted it up in that. Um, in that time um yeah. additionally they had that like when um when pride closed down a lot of pride fighters came to strike force and for the first time people in the u.s were watching what these japanese guys did mm -hmm. um and all like all of the great talent that came from there um you know they brought fedor to the u.s soil on a long-term basis um you know, and that was fun to watch. And it was, it was a great alternative to what the UFC was doing. Like for a time, like all you got was UFC, all you got was UFC, and it was, which is fine. But then all of a sudden you see this other organization putting on this, these fights, you see this big roided out dude in Alistair Overeem, you know, you, you see it, you know, like Fedor almost lose to what's his name? Um, forget the Brett Rogers grab Brett Rogers yeah. um you know he like I, re I remember watching the lead up to that fight and thinking oh man Rogers looks like he's gonna kill him and then <laughs> for the first part of that fight like he was yeah. and then suddenly Fedor just throws this like right-handed haymaker and <laughs> Rogers just collapses <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and and you know these were all strike force memories so like it's it's nice to know that you know you, we had these kind of fights and the, this this big extravaganza um, with Moro on the mic and um, you know like those are all great things like MMA would not be where it is today without Strike Force hands down like there are there are there's 
female bantamweight champs because of strike force. Yeah. And those the lower weight divisions don't happen without bantamweight coming into the UFC. Yeah. But bantamweight doesn't get into the UFC without strike force. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's the long lasting legacy. All right. Well, well put, Eric. I really appreciate your time. And uh, for those of you who, you know, you maybe don't know who Eric is, go Google his stories. I mean, I'm thinking about it here in the last 45 minutes here where we've been talking. You just had so many scoops, you know. I remember that now. Uh, you know, you were breaking news. And, you know, if you if you got we're talking about Strike Force's legacy, but Eric, you had a great legacy of your own in terms of your contributions to MMA journalism. And I'm I'm glad you're over it now. You're doing other stuff, bigger and better stuff. But I think we'll always, you know, remember you for being a legit journalist trying to bring legit journalism to a sport that didn't always and doesn't always welcome it so so thanks a lot eric for, for your time i appreciate you coming on the show josh you're too kind and i i appreciate it so much more man thanks Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.